morning, church. How are we today? Three of you are good. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. How are you? Man, the sun's shining. It's in the 80s again. How many 80s fans are there? I mean the weather, not 80s music or anything. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm, I'm more of like a spring guy. If it was like 75 with a nice breeze all year round, I would be good. But hey, we're not here to talk about the weather. We're here to get into the word. Amen? And so open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We are in chapter 3 this morning. Acts chapter 3. I don't know about you, but this has been an awesome time for me to get in the Word, to get in the book of Acts and just see how the early church started and what it has for us. Well, as we, as we before we get into the Word, uh, I, I want to mention something about the English language. Isn't the English language just kind of tricky? And don't we misunderstand so many words? Or we misuse them, or we say things and we exaggerate, or we say things and we just don't understand the importance of them. Uh, take this, for instance, when we say, that's the worst. Like, think of what we say that's the worst to. We say that's the worst to just about everything, right? I remember one time, going on vacation, I might have told you this story. We're on vacation and we're looking for lunch, and all of a sudden we pull up the maps and there's a Chick-fil-A. And how many Chick-fil-A fans here? God's chosen fast food restaurant. And uh, so we're driving, and we pull into Chick-fil-A, we're it's closed. And then we realize it's Sunday, and we're all like, that's the worst. But is that really the worst? I mean, is that really the worst thing that can happen to you? Or even the flip side of that, oh, that's the best. You know, we're watching TV, and on comes a commercial for a new Avengers movie, and my kids are like, yes, a new Avengers movie, or a new Avengers show, that's the best. Is it really the best, though? And as we encounter the scriptures this morning, what we're going to see is a man who doesn't fully understand what he needs. You ever, have, you, have, you ever find yourself saying, oh, man, I really need that. Or you're going to the store with kids and the kids, you see, maybe it's not your kids, maybe it's other kids. Like, mom, I need this. How can I survive without this? I need this. Well, we're going to encounter a man who gets far more than what he thought he needed. And for us as believers in Christ, I think we can get tripped up. And maybe, maybe you find yourself, you're searching. You're not a Christian. You're searching, trying to understand what, what is Christianity all about. You may be confused about what you really need. It's important for us as believers in Jesus that we understand our greatest need. And so let's jump in this morning as we look at our greatest need. Acts 3, starting in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand, the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. 
And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing testimony that this layman had. What an amazing story, Lord. What an amazing reminder that, God, you are the great physician. That you are sovereign and in control and not even health can prevent you from doing what you want to do. Lord, this is not a story about healing as much as it is the story about having our attention drawn to the Savior. And our need to repent in light of who the Savior is and our need to worship God. There are so many things about you that we don't understand. We don't understand our need all the time. We don't understand how great our salvation is. And certainly, Lord, there are times when we forget how amazing our Savior is. God, would you use this time this morning to draw our hearts to you, to give us more of you. Open our eyes, Father. Move in our hearts, God. Bring conviction, bring encouragement wherever we need it in order to bring glory to you. And God, I pray that we would all walk out of here having drawn near to you, God. And so, Father, be with us now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so here is the setting in Acts 3. Peter and John are heading to the temple to pray. And and we see here it says it's the ninth hour. So the ninth hour... It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And there's this beggar here. And notice this beggar is not somebody who, as he got older, became lame. But he was actually lame from birth. Can you imagine that? He's a, he's a man. We don't know his age. But certainly he's got to be of some uh, age of adulthood. And he has never been able to walk. He's not just someone with a limp. He is unable to move. And they set him at this place called the called the beautiful gate. Now, we don't know exactly where this is at in light of the temple, in light of Jerusalem. But nevertheless, he is at this strategic place for a beggar to be. And not only uh, were Peter and John going to pray, 
Not only was this is the time for the hour of prayer for the Jewish community, this was actually the time for the evening sacrifices as well. So this would have been a very hopping place. This beggar is no dummy. He's smart. He knows where he needs to be in order to get what he thinks that he needs. And not only is this, there going to be a lot of people here, but for the Jews, it was important for them that they were charitable. And so the beggar knew that it was part of their identity, part of their acceptance of God, at least that's what they thought, was to be giving to those who are in need. So he, he is setting himself up to at least get something to survive another day. He's a smart beggar. And then look at verse 3 here again. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as to John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And so I picture this man, frail. And depressed. You ever seen somebody who's never been able to walk or it's been years since they've been able to walk? What happens to their legs? Their, the muscles deteriorate. He was a sad picture. And day after day, he's just desperate to get something to help sustain him for the next day. Something to keep him going. And sure, he calls out for them, but he doesn't do it confidently. He has no special talent to offer. He has no instrument to play. He's not playing drums or singing, looking for somebody to bless him for his talent. He's not a statue standing out there completely still. He's got nothing to offer. He's not even looking at them. He's looking away in shame. And to his amazement, they actually call out to him. And Peter says, look at us. Now, I wonder when the last time this beggar actually had somebody who took the time to stare them in their eyes. What do we tend to do if we see somebody begging on the side of the street, have a sign at a stop sign? What do we usually do? They're right there. We're usually looking the other way, aren't we? And yet here is Peter and John who calls for this man who's too ashamed to look at him, says, look at us. You see the compassion of Peter and John here reaching out to this man in desperate need. And, and he said, and, and as he calls, I can picture him Reaching his hand out, expecting to receive some alms, some money, something to help him through the day. But as he reaches out, he is shocked at what he says. In verse 6, Peter says, I have no silver or gold. And can you imagine the beggar just be like, oh, so what are you going to give me, another sermon? I've heard enough sermons from people. What are you going to tell me, go find a job, go get a job? You're going to tell me to go find a better place and stop bothering us here? We're just trying to focus on the Lord. What's he going to, what are you going to tell me now? Well, if you don't have gold or silver, what could you possibly offer me? And then Peter says the most amazing thing to this man's ears. Second part of verse 6. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. 
This man wasn't going to get money from them, but what he received was far greater than anything this man could have possibly imagined. This man was instantly healed. And as we look at this, as we think about what took place here, I want to make a spiritual connection for us when it comes to our understanding of what we really need. And so the first thing we're going to we want to understand is this. Understand your great need. Understand your great need. This morning of this man here, he woke up just thinking it was another day, hoping to get money so he could eat. He's really got no hope for tomorrow. He can't focus on that. He's just living literally day by day. But what's that going to get him in the long run? I mean, he's just begging and begging and begging. What's that really going to do for him? What's it really going to accomplish for him if he's just got to do that day after day? He, he doesn't really understand his greatest need, and he doesn't even understand that it's even available for him. And still, he wakes up, and day after day, comes and begs. He didn't think to ask them for what he really needed, and that was to walk. That was to be able to live his life and to provide for himself. And the same is true for us, isn't it? When we come to Jesus, we don't really fully understand what we need. But for all of us, when we are born into this world, we are born separated from God. If you've believed the lie that you've always loved God, let me just tell you exactly what that is. That is a lie. We don't come into this world loving Jesus. It's not our nature to love God and want to follow his ways. We are born into this world loving ourselves. No one needs to look any further than a little baby. What's one of the first words a child says? No. <laughs> From the get-go, we live for us. No child is born except for Jesus Christ. No child is born just immediately obeying their parents. Yes, mommy. Yes, I will do that. I will not touch the light socket that you've told me not to touch multiple times. <laughs> we live for ourselves. And we pursue many different avenues to try to find what we think we need. One of the things I think uh, we struggle with, one of the things that I've struggled with is that this, this sense of like, I'm just trying to get to a place of peace. I'm just trying to get to a place where there's no more struggle, when it's easy, when it's comfortable, when I don't have to fight for everything in my life. You ever been there? You ever get tempted to think that that's what you need? You need, like, all the trials removed from you? I'll never forget this day that I walked into church. We were living in Chicago. It was really just kind of a hard season for our family, not not relationally, but just financially. Uh, we had just moved away from our family to a place where we didn't know a whole lot of people. And just a lot of hard things. And I was working a ton of hours for not much pay. Uh, we saw our savings account dip to $500 with the $900 rent coming up. And Nikki was lonely. She was basically became a single mom. If you have to live that, you know what that's like. And I'm working all the time and she's just kind of stuck at home. She loved her kids. She loves doing what she's doing, but she just didn't have a whole lot. And we were just really struggling. And I remember going to church one particular morning and just 
God, when's this going to end? When are you just going to help us get to a place where we can just live life with joy and peace and it's easy and comfortable? At least I, I wouldn't say those words, but that's really what I meant. And we started singing this hymn that is one of my favorite of all time. It's How Firm a Foundation. And we started singing this verse. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and the gold to refine. And the power of those words hit me and I began to weep. As God was running through my mind like this reminder of all the suffering that we had endured. But then what he also showed is like, man, I'm doing this to consume what's bad in you and to refine what's good. I'm conforming you to the image of my son. It couldn't happen any other way. If I made it easy for you, you wouldn't really grow. And I realized that what I think I need isn't always what I really need. And I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.9. Paul was not one who did not understand suffering. In fact, he understood suffering far greater than we. He came to a place where he despised of life. He no longer wanted to live. And he realized it was a purpose why God brought him through that. 2 Corinthians 1.9 says this. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Why? Why did he go through that? But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Christian, do you understand how desperately we need Christ? More than relationships, right? You see the world that seeks after relationships. So they're looking for somebody else outside of Christ to make them happy. And so they get married, but then they find out that that person is not meeting their needs. And if they are looking for them to be the, 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 the meter of their needs, what happens to that relationship? It falls apart. And so that relationship ends and you go to another relationship. And you're looking for that person. You think, I found that one. This person is going to meet my needs. And then what happens? They disappoint. No person can meet the need that only Christ can fulfill. Another thing, especially I think men struggle with this, is this, the need that we have, like we have to provide, right? Like you have to live... In order to live in this world, you got to have money to, to make it through. you got to have food. you got to have shelter. You have some basic needs that we have to. We have to have jobs. But for some of us, we put all of our identity in what we do. And we pour our lives and we sacrifice everything. And we say we're doing it for our family. But really what we're doing is neglecting our family so that we can get a big name. And we can get ourselves. And we can get bigger toys. And we can get bigger houses. We can get bigger cars. And it leaves us unsatisfied. Because that's not what we need. We don't need to have this great life here on earth. What we need is for God to bring trials in. And the reason he brings trials in our lives is so that we realize that we can't depend on ourselves, but we must rely on God. Do you understand how desperately you need him? Do you realize that nothing you do in this earth, no great works, can earn you favor with God. Understand your great need. Look at verse 8. 
And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Here's the second thing that we need to understand. Understand your great salvation. Understand your great salvation. The man didn't understand his need. Like getting money today is not going to help him from two weeks from now. And for us, getting ourselves in a place where we can provide for our family is not going to lead us to eternity. But this man who just a few moments ago was unable to walk, was begging for something to help sustain him for just a day, he gets something that he did not see happening. And he was instantly healed. This is no partial healing, right? This is not like he couldn't walk, but now at least he can walk. He's taking little steps like a baby, you know, like they're so unstable, but with such as, this is not just like he's taking, like he's making some progress. This isn't like physical therapy that takes months. This is something that instantly he is healed. He's not just walking, he is leaping. This is impossible for, like, I, I remember in college, I, I broke my leg. Anybody ever break their leg? It's like terrible, right? When you say the worst, that's a little bit closer than Chick-fil-A, right? That's a little bit more realistic. Uh, I broke my leg, and, I, and the, the break wasn't bad, but I tore ligaments in my ankle. And so I was on crutches for six weeks, like, or six months. I couldn't walk for six months. It was terrible. And I remember getting, that, getting, the, getting rid of those crutches and being able to walk. But it wasn't like I could leap and run. It was just like, I can walk. I don't need these crutches anymore. Like this guy went from lame to leaping. Amazing. And what does he do? He responds the way we should all respond when we, when we encounter the living God who does something amazing in our lives. When he rescues us from our sin, he praises him. He praises God. What an appropriate response. When we understand our great salvation. He understood his great need being met through walking. When we understand our great need and that we are separated from God and there is nothing we can do, but yet he gave his son who bore our sin on the cross so that we would be made right. When that strikes us, when we realize that, we can't help but praise. Why do we struggle with joy in our lives as Christians? It's because we forget the great salvation that we've been given. We forget that our greatest need has been met. Our greatest struggle is not outside of us. Our greatest problem is within us. And God has made a way for us to be made right. Brothers and sisters, have you remembered your great salvation? Another illustration that I remember uh, for us as a family, a a couple days after our son Isaac was born, uh, we brought him home. So with Isaac, it was... I wouldn't say it was a complicated pregnancy, but she had some preeclampsia issues. And so they scheduled an induction uh, two weeks prior to the due date because of that. And so Isaac was a little small. Uh, he was 5'11", born on 5'11", kind of cool. You can always remember that. So not the biggest baby. And, and so little babies have troubles just kind of adjusting to life. Uh, and so I remember that just the day that we brought him home, Nikki just got done feeding him, was changing him, and then, like, our, our world stopped. And for about 10 seconds, Isaac turned completely blue. And we had just never encountered that at all. We had, he was our second. And so we had never counted that with our first. And so we were panicking. And we were freaking out, not knowing what to do. And so we called 911. The ambulance came. And Nikki went with 
with him. And I shortly followed after we had somebody come over to stay with Reese. And we spent what was the longest night we'd ever spent in the hospital. And they did all these tests on him. And they're trying to poke him to get an IV. And his veins are so small that, I don't know, they probably pricked him ten times on his feet trying to find an IV. And we slept on hospital couches. And I don't know if you've ever done that. But you don't really sleep. You just kind of sleep for ten minutes, wake up, sleep for, like all night long, exhausted. But by the time that we woke up and ran these tests, that they came to the point like, look, we checked everything we could. There's nothing that has come up. And what we think happened is that it's just part of a baby learning to breathe, learning to eat, and, and it's just part of the process of them learning to breathe on their own. We don't think there's any issues. We don't think there's anything to be concerned of. And so what do you think the relief was for us from that moment he turned purple to seeing that he was fine? I mean, we could not be more ecstatic. Do you not think that we enjoyed every moment with him knowing that not every parent has this? And we were overcome because we knew what could have been, but we didn't get what could have been. We got something far greater. The same is true for our salvation. When we understand how desperately we were wicked, our hearts are, and yet Jesus died for us at the right time, and we have the opportunity to be made right, and he makes us right through faith and repentance. Oh, what joy it is when we remember how great our salvation is. Believer in Christ, how is your joy? Have you spent time even this week remembering who you were and remembering who you are in light of Christ? If you're lacking joy, it's because you've forgotten your great need. You don't understand how greatly you need him. And you have forgotten how great your salvation is. Be encouraged this morning. No matter what happens to you in this life, if you have truly repented and placed your faith in Christ, you have an eternity where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more shame. Understand your great need. Understand your great salvation. And that really leads us to the last thing here is, Understand your great Savior. Understand your great Savior. Look at verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So by this point, because of the celebration of the now healed man, those in the temple have gathered around. And they're seeing what all the commotion is about. And what they see takes their breath away. They couldn't believe what their eyes were seeing for years. They had seen this beggar sitting there asking for money, unable to walk since birth. They'd walk by him hundreds, maybe thousands of times before, seeing his thin, fragile legs. They'd thrown money at him. But now he was in the temple, leaping, completely healed. How could this possibly have happened? Now, before we move on, I want to 
I want to address a question that maybe some of you have in light of this event. Certainly a question that I had in studying it. Does God still heal today? So how would you answer that? Do you think God still heals today? I would say certainly I think he does. A harder question to answer, are there healers among us? That would be where I would be more skeptical of. Are there healers among us? Has God given people among us who can heal? And to be honest, I don't fully know, but I would say I'm skeptical. And, And we can make a few observations when it comes to miracles, when it comes to healing, compared to what we see today. So let's look at those for a moment here. We're going to kind of take a sidestep, because I think this is vital for us to understand. Is healing for today? Now, so let's, let's make some observations here. First of all, we need to understand that this man's ailments were absolutely obvious. The fact that he couldn't walk was no surprise to the people. They, they knew it. They had seen him for years. He was lame since birth. Who knows how long, that, who knows how old he is, but for years and years they were able to observe him. They were able to look at his legs and realize, man, what a sad state. Nobody came up to him after he was healed and said, I don't believe this. He, he, you, you just, you planted him here so that you could do this. This is, this is some kind of fraud. You know, as you think about that and you think about today, as I've observed, and I haven't taken, I haven't done much observation of it, but what I've watched is that like, for most, if not all the healings that I've ever, healings I've seen by these evangelists, None of, they're like backaches. Like, how do you know if there's really a backache? I could fake it. I mean, I could walk like this and have you convinced that I did something to my back. And then all of a sudden, my, you know, it's like, who knows if that really happens? Or a sprained ankle. Well, how, how would I know if you really had a sprained ankle? How, how do I know that? For this, what we see here is that there's absolutely no doubt. This healing was an absolute miracle. Nobody was questioning it. That's the first observation. Another observation is this. It was a complete healing. There was complete transformation. He didn't go from like not being able to walk to where he, now he can walk with a gimp. Oh, that's amazing. We, would, we might say for some people like, praise God, that's, that's awesome. He's limping. This guy went from not being able to walk to leaping. He's jumping around. Complete healing. I, I've watched some too where it's like, doesn't that feel better? Well, yeah, it, it kind of feels better. Oh, praise God, there's a miracle. There's a healing. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's true because who knows, first of all, if that's an honest thing. And second of all, is it complete healing? And third of all, I don't even know if there was really anything wrong to begin with. Here's another observation we, heal, we see here. This wasn't a healing that took place in order to bring people to receive more healings. In other words, Peter didn't just do this healing and say, is there anybody else in this room who needs healing? Anybody else, come forth now. I don't know if you've ever watched a healing service. They get these lines of people lined up to come and get healing, and they're thrashing heads. There's probably more injury after the healing than before. Uh, and it just I'm just a little bit skeptical because Peter is not here to, to start a healing ministry. You see that? He's not here to bring attention to himself. He's not, he's not here to lift himself up. He was quick to deflect praise. The healing wasn't used to promote a ministry. The healing was used to promote the Messiah. 
And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? And so here we see Peter saying, guys, this isn't done by me. Don't be lifting me up. This is something outside of me. I'm just God's instrument. He's using me. Don't look at me. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. What's he saying here? He's saying, Jews, this is your God too. This is the God that you say you believe. He's the one that did it. Why are you astounded because of God doing what God does? He glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you are. And so here... Peter takes full advantage of the situation. He sees God at work, and something moves in him. When it says there, faith, it's not talking about the faith of the beggar. It's talking about the faith of Peter. Peter had the faith. Something stirred in him that he was called to heal this man through Jesus. Jesus is going to use Peter to heal this man, and his faith was stirred to say, I give you what I can give you. Stand. Walk. And it becomes a perfect opportunity not to promote himself, not to do some more healings, but to point to the Savior. Do you remember earlier in Acts, the first sermon that Peter preached? This is the second one, the first, Peter, uh, first sermon that Peter preached. Remember, it was on the heels of the apostles speaking in these languages of the Jews who had came from all around. And they were hearing their own language from these basic, simple Galileans. There's no way they would know these languages outside of a outpouring of the spirit Peter used that as an opportunity to call the Jews out there and to let them see their sin and Peter does something very similar here as he calls out the Jews and notice what he says of them he denied they denied Jesus before Pilate they first of all delivered him to him and then they denied him Pilate, if you remember in the Gospels, Pilate was trying to free Jesus. You remember that? He was trying to like, I see no wrong in this man. But he was too afraid of the people to do anything about it. And these people re- re- like resisted the deliverance of Jesus over and over again. Multiple times. They denied their Messiah whom they did not realize was the Messiah. They also denied Jesus by asking in verse 14 for a murderer to be granted to him. You remember, they're like, it was custom to deliver somebody up from, from prison and, and free them. And they're like, well, let's just free them. It's customary to free somebody. Let's free Jesus. And they're like, no, we don't want Jesus. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer. He was a criminal. He was the one that deserved to be on the cross. And instead, they rejected the perfect Messiah and instead asked for a murderer. 
And isn't it a little bit ironic that they murder the author of life, it says there. They deny, they demand a murderer be released instead of Jesus, and they ultimately killed him. They didn't understand that their Messiah, whom they had been looking for, was the one whom they crucified. It's an opportunity for us today to pause, to come to a better understanding of our great Savior. We don't want to miss Jesus at work today. We don't want to miss seeing him in our lives. In fact, Peter gives us a description of who Jesus is, and we would be wise to pay attention to these characteristics of who Jesus is. Verse 14, it says, Jesus is whole. It, uh, excuse me. First of all, he says, Jesus in verse 13 is a servant. Jesus is a servant. I want you to think about this. Do we have like a, a servant down mentality in our country? Like those who are highest are those who serve? Or is it those who are highest who are served? And you have Jesus who was perfect in every way. If there was anybody worthy to be declared king, anybody worthy to have servants galore, anybody worthy to have people bow down at his feet, take care of his every need, it was Jesus. And yet Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He came ultimately to give his life for us. I think first and foremost, this should leave us amazed. That one who was worthy to be served came to serve and be a blessing to others. We should be amazed at him and love him and worship him for the way that he serves us. But secondly, it's a call for us to serve. It's called for us to be servants. Are you a servant to those in your life? Are you looking to deflect praise off of yourself? Are you looking to not receive an easy life from others, but rather you're looking to bless others and give others Jesus? Is that your mentality? Verse 14, Peter says that Jesus is the holy and righteous one. Holy means Jesus was set apart. He's not like the rest of mankind. He's righteous. He's right. He's pure. He's perfect. There are no blemishes in him. It's not that he's just a good man. He is a sinless man. He has never sinned. Ponder that for a moment. When's the last time you sinned? When's the last time you failed? I think one of two things came to mind. Number one, it comes right away because it was this morning and we were sinful at home and we were whatever. <laughs> or we can't remember, did this sin come first or did that sin come first? I can't remember because I mixed it all up. The, the point of all of that is, is that we don't go a single day without screwing up. We don't go a single day without falling short of God's glory. And Jesus lived his entire life without a single blemish, completely perfect in every way, holy, righteous, He's worthy of our praise because of that. And in verse 15, we see that Jesus is the author of life. It was his servant's heart that made him willing to go to the cross on our behalf. It was his perfection, his holiness, his righteousness that made him worthy to be able to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. 
He is the author of life. It is through Christ that we can have life and have it abundantly. It wasn't Peter who healed this man. It was the power of Jesus through Peter. Why? Why did he heal this man? He healed this man so that Jesus would be seen and proclaimed to the lost. Why does God heal us of our sin? Why does he take people who are messed up, damaged goods, and make us new? It's so that people can see Christ through us. Do you remember the title of our book that we called this, the title of Acts? To the end of the earth. Why were we rescued? So that we would take the gospel to the end of the earth. This kind of leads us to, you know, what can motivate us to take the gospel to the end of the earth? Number one, understand your great need. Understand how desperately you need Jesus. We also find motivation when we understand our great salvation. When we understand what we deserve, when we've been rescued from, from a life of promiscuity, from a life of addiction and been given this new life in Jesus, new affections, new joys, dying to ourselves, learning to realize that when I live for me, life goes terribly, but when I live for others, things go way better. God has given us a great salvation. And we're motivated then when we understand our great Savior. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And ultimately, because of his holiness, his righteousness, his perfection, he placed himself on the cross. The Father looked down at him and declared him guilty of every sin that every Christian would ever believe. So that when we repent and place our faith in Jesus, we are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our greatest need has been met. We have a great salvation. We have a great Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing miracle. Not for us to be looking for other miracles, but rather looking for you to do miracles through us. And now I'm not talking about physical healing, but spiritual healing, Lord. We live in a dying world where people are dying not because of AIDS or coronavirus or accidents or cancer. They're dying because they don't know you. God, I pray that you would restore our joy this morning, that we would understand our great need and our great salvation in light of that. God, that we'd be overcome once again of the joy of our salvation, that you'd restore to us the joy of our salvation, that we would take our eyes off of our circumstances here. Lord, our need is not that life gets easier for us. Our need is that we turn to you, that we realize, as Paul did, that you allow suffering and trials to come so that we would learn not to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And Lord, you have brought dead men and women in this room to life. Oh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending us a substitute on our behalf. We could be made right with you, Lord. Oh, Lord, would you open our eyes to the greatness of our Savior. That that would motivate us to take the gospel outside of here to 
the end of the earth to our neighbors across the streets, to our co-workers on the other side of the room, to our classmates, to our own homes, Lord. God, we cannot be guilted into sharing our faith. And so I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with such joy that we can't help but share. That you've been faithful, you have been good. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing in response?